Hello, everybody, and here we are again, and I get to teach you from God's Word, which I thoroughly enjoy. Um, we are in this series called Peace in the Panic during this self-quarantine of our pandemic, and you know what? I want to begin today a little different where I just want to pray before I get in the message, and I want to pray for all that's going on and just pray for people. So would you join me in prayer right now as I pray? I'm going to close my eyes, and maybe you'll close yours, maybe not. But let's pray. God, I, I would just ask, Lord, at this time, Jesus, that you would stop this thing from spreading, that you would protect people, God. I pray for those who are in hospital beds right now on ventilators, Lord, that are struggling, God, that you would bring them back, heal them, give them strength. Lord, I pray for vaccines. I pray that you would protect the nurses, the doctors, all those that work in hospital settings. Protect them, God, and keep them safe, God. I pray, Lord, that you would protect our elderly, Lord, who are the um, most susceptible to these things or those with underlying conditions. God, I pray your protection around the world against this pandemic. And Jesus, give us peace in the midst of what people are panicking in. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you join me in that prayer. So let's get on with what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about peace in the panic, but today we're going to talk about the peaceful heart. And in a moment, I'm going to tell you what that all means. But let me begin with a verse um, that it's not our verse or part of our message day, but it is a lead in verse. Would you open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23? I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to dissect it for you as a foundational piece of where we're going in this, little, in this message today. Verse 23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, I'm a, I love words. I like to look up the Hebrew of words, Old Testament, or the Greek New Testament. So let me show you what these words mean. The word watch, the, the word means to guard, protect, or maintain. The word heart, it simply means it's the inner you, the seat of all your emotions. It's that deep you, who you are. The word diligence in that verse, it means a guard post. Now, the first word was a guard, but now you have the guard post. And then from it flow, those three words, well, they simply mean an outgoing source. And then the word life, great word, it means fresh water or green vegetation. Now, you put it all together in a stew, and here's what the writer is telling us. He is saying, I've got to guard, I've got to protect and maintain my insides. The, the deepest me, because from the insides of me can flow potentially fresh water, green vegetation. Jesus said that our hearts from it flow a lot of evil things. In Matthew 15, he, he gives us a laundry list. But when a person is infused with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, your life begins to change. And what the old ugly things that used to come out of our heart, the evil thoughts, the ugly words, the gossips, the condemnations, etc., etc. 
now can flow great things, the fruit of the Spirit, like love for everyone, like joy in any circumstance or situation, and peace, the peace that can fill a heart because Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And so we want to maintain and protect our hearts and keep it peace-filled. Now, let me take you back 40 years in a story. 40 years. 40 years ago, I was a correctional officer at CIM here in Chino. I worked at East Facility for some of you who are currently or were correctional officer. I only worked there for a short time. I wanted a different experience. But among the different positions that they had me work, there was one position I dreaded. Uh, well, I, I just hated it. And that was the tower. And not just any time in the tower. It was first watch. First watch was midnight to 8 a.m. You'd sit in that tower for eight hours. It's dark. And it was like time stood still. A grinding halt. It was so slow. You didn't want to look at your watch or anything because it was so slow. And what made it worse is East facility is right off Euclid. And you know, those of you who are local from here, you know the kind of fog you get in that area. And sometimes the fog would come in. And it would so blanket the area. And you're in this tower from midnight to 8 a.m. And the fog is so thick, you cannot see anything outside the glass windows of the tower. Nothing. But what they would do at that moment is they'd get someone in a truck, like a sergeant or an SE search and escort was a position, and they would drive the perimeter all night long. But you in the tower, you're not allowed to sleep or lay down. You had to sit there, stay awake, and watch the fog because you're in the guard tower guarding. That's what it means to keep watch. And we would keep watch. Why? And people still keep watch. Why? To guard the community. God is saying that you and I need to watch our hearts to keep watch in that, in that heart of ours because we've got to guard what's in there, what God has invested in our lives. Now, have you ever thought of yourself as a guard in a guard tower guarding your heart to make sure that the right things are inputted into you so that there's a fresh, constant flow of fresh water and green vegetation that's just a blessing to others so you don't retreat or I don't retreat to become the old person that I once was before I knew Christ? Well, today we're going to start another section of this piece in the Panic series called The Peaceful Heart. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to take you, now turn there, I'm going to take you through the 23rd Psalm. I'm going to dissect it. I'm going to give you applications from it. I don't know if it's going to take me three weeks or four weeks. All I know is I'm going to try to present as much application from it because in this, <clears throat> I think we find a peaceful heart. I think it's all there. And so here we go. If you're in Psalm 23, I've got four points for you today. Four from one verse. Yeah, and I had to cut it down, okay? Anybody who teaches the Bible, you know what that's about. Huh? You hate to cut things out, but you know for time-wise, you just have to do it. So the peaceful heart, number one in your notes, and that is the peaceful heart is an experienced heart. Let me read verse one 
And let's take off from there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's say it all together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <clears throat> okay. What do I mean by an experienced heart? Well, let me show you what I mean with another biblical story. Would you turn to John chapter 3 and verse 14 in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 3.14. <clears throat> this is a great interaction between Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who has come to Jesus with some questions. He only recognizes Jesus as a teacher. And then in the exchange, Jesus realizes, you don't understand what I'm talking about, this born-again stuff. And Jesus says, if I told you earthly things, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Jesus finally, uh, he comes to this moment in time where he tells Nicodemus this statement to try to get him to understand. He's going, let me read it and let me show you how Jesus is going to use it to bring it back to an experienced heart. John 3.14. Now there's a continuation of the conversation. Now watch this. In verse 14, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he says, Nicodemus, do you remember that? Nicodemus' mind flashes back. Yes, I know the story. I've read it a thousand times. In Numbers, yes, it's that moment in time when, a, when these poisonous snakes were biting the Israelites in the desert and they were dying. Moses turns to God and says, what do I do? God says, I want you to mold a bronze snake, put it up on a pole, and so that whenever anyone gets bitten by a poisonous snake, you look at that thing and you'll be healed. Now, you've seen that now in medical buildings, medical emblems, that bronze snake on a pole. That's where they get it from, from Numbers 21, from Jesus' quotation, New Testament. Mm. Now, so Jesus is making a comparison and he says this at the end, second half of verse 14. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Oh, what did Jesus just do to try to make him understand um, what he's talking about? He says, Nicodemus, make the, let me make the comparison. You know how that worked in Numbers 21, how you, they, Moses lifted up the bronze serpent and they looked and they were healed. But so too must the Son of Man, meaning himself, Jesus says, he must be lifted up on a cross. And Nicodemus can't understand all of it, but he's making the comparison to make him understand. Here's what's going on. There is an experience from the past that can give him understanding when they compare it to an experience today. That is what's going on, and that's what I mean by experience. A peaceful heart is an experienced heart. Let me show you how David uses it now. David uses the comparison this way in his own life. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What was David during the growing up years of his life? A shepherd. So when he says these words in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. David is speaking from experience of what a shepherd's all about. And so when he says, God is my shepherd, he knows that God is a protector, a provider, because that's what David did as a shepherd. 
that God would lead him in the right places because that's what David did as a shepherd. Let me bring it down to earth for you and I how it works in this illustration. Um, my son Nathan and his wife Lindsay, they had the big reveal. I'm going to be a granddaddy again of another baby girl. That's right. Now, I told my son Nathan this. I said, Nathan, when she's born and you look into her face in a moment of time, you'll fall madly in love with her. Though you just met her. And in that moment, your life will change. In that you will provide for her. You will get her what she needs. You will now at some point in life quit buying cool clothes for yourself so she can wear cool clothes. One point, you won't be driving your little cool Jeep four-door with the hard top coming off and acting all cool because you'll be getting yourself a more practical SUV or something for that little girl, everything will change. Now here's my question. How do I know that? And how do you know that that is true as a parent? Experience. Experience. You know that when you had a child or children, that your life changed. That you went from somewhat being all about you to being all about them. And you did whatever it took to provide to care for, to protect, experience. It's a comparison. You also understand, at least you should understand, follower of Christ, that when you became a parent and you protected and provided for that child, you now understood a lot more about God. God is a father. And you understood that you as a parent doing all these things for your child that God, your parent, by comparison and you having the experience as a parent, you understood that God would be there for you. That's an experienced heart. My children never went to bed panicked or fearful because they knew mom and dad were on watch taking care of whatever they needed in their life. The dad, mom were on the job. Dad is on the job. And by comparison, based on experience, you can have a peaceful heart. I hope that made sense to you because it sure made sense to me. Now, point two. The peaceful heart knows God has its best interests in mind. He says in Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. <clears throat> so what does a shepherd do? Well, among many things, it protects the sheep. Sheep are prone to wander off. And it's the shepherd's job, one of his jobs, to bring the sheep back in to the fold because out there wandering by itself, it's prone to be taken by thieves or wild animals will kill it. So the shepherd is on watch to keep the best interests of the sheep in mind. It was 11 years ago. 
and my dog, Maximus, who's now 12 and a half years old. And by the way, at 12 and a half years old, he sleeps about 18 to 20 hours a day, and he doesn't seem to mind self-quarantine at all. In fact, I think he enjoys it. He just enjoys the whole quarantine process. He's an old guy, and he likes laying around. Now, but 11 years ago, when he was a year and a half old, he got away. He got out. He took off. And he couldn't find his way back. And it was sad. My wife and my daughter, Vanessa, they made posters with Max's picture. They put it all over the neighborhood. And I remember Olivia and I had to leave town. Oh, it was rough. Knowing Max was gone. Where was he? Who had him? Somebody calls. They told, Vanessa picks up the phone because they gave the number and they said, we have your dog. And Vanessa calls us. I said, oh man, she said, they're bringing, them, we're bringing Max home right now. I said, give them $100. They came, dropped Max off. They wouldn't take the money even though they had taken care of Max for four to five days. But here's what they said. They said that while Max was gone from us, he would whimper and cry. Why? Because he missed his home. He missed his daddy. I'm his daddy. Because Max is not a dog. He's a little boy in a fur coat. I don't care what anyone says. He's my boy. But he would whimper and he would cry. See, Max had distress while he was gone because he wandered and he had distress. Paul in the New Testament says this. In Romans, a New Testament letter written by a man named Paul, in chapter 2, verse 9, he says this great truth. He says, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Now, now let me try to put this in place here. Jesus, our good shepherd, he does his best to keep us from wandering outside the lines of what is best for us. God's word, living in this area here. Like a good shepherd, he protects and keeps us there. But you know what? We can wander outside the lines. We, we can do these things if we so choose to. But as a good shepherd, he protects and he brings us back in. We can wander like old Max wandered outside. Listen very closely. The word distress, when Paul says distress, it means a narrow space. See, when we move outside of the lines of what God says is best for us, we think freedom. No, sin is fun for a season. But then it begins to compress us and compress us and desire more and need more and need more and pressures us and pressures us until we have no more peace. Max was in distress because he wandered and he wandered away and he whimpered and he cried until he came back home. And Max was his good old self again. But while he wandered, no peace. While he's home, peace in Max's heart. We've got to settle it, guys. We've got to settle it, follower of Christ, that God's ways are the best ways. Now listen, if you're not a follower of Christ, what do you really have to lose by living a right life? What do you really have to lose? You'd make everyone happier around you. You'd be happier living right. But we're called to live what's right. God knows and has my best interests in mind. And when I walk 
in that, when I walk in God's word and God's ways, I have peace in my heart. When I don't, when I wander off like Max, I have distress. I have distress. Now, number three. The peaceful heart is thankful. I really like this. This is a quick little point, but I really like this one. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Huh. Notice, when he says, I shall not want, that is a peaceful heart. It's a thankful heart. Now, have you ever noticed this? That an unthankful heart will lead us to believe that we dwell in a barren land. An unthankful heart will lead us to believe that there's nothing good in my life and whatever I have is not good enough. Have you ever noticed that? That's what an unthankful heart does. And when you and I have an unthankful heart, when we lose a peaceful heart, oh, the only outcome to that is a lustful heart. What do you mean, Jim? Watch this. In, turn to James chapter 4 and verse 3. It's way near the end of the New Testament, after Hebrews. James 4 and verse 3. You see, when I lose my peaceful heart, my peaceful heart, because I'm not thankful, turns into a lustful heart. Now watch what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says. And by the way, what would it take for you to believe your your sibling was the Messiah, God in the flesh? Because James came to that realization that Jesus, his half-brother, was God in the flesh and Lord. Watch what James says. He says in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, You ask and do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motive, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Let me break down two statements in there. First thing he's saying is this. They're asking was actually lusting. The second thing he says, that, they're, that they ask only to consume it on their own lusts. Let me give you a big truth about God. God will never engage us if all it is is about satisfying our lusts. He's not going to engage us that way. But he will engage, bless, bring peace to a thankful heart. Now let me read you this little story before I move on to point four. I got this in the mail this week. It was sent by my Assemblies of God um, network office. And it's a cool little story about a thankful heart. Watch this. It says, starts off with, I like the story about the third graders who were asked to write down the seven wonders of the world. So they took blank pieces of paper and started writing. After a while, the teacher collected the papers and began looking at their answers. Things like the Grand Canyon, the pyramids in Egypt, the Taj Mahal in India, wonders from all over the world. But one little girl was still busily writing. The teacher asked her, aren't you through? I just asked you to write down seven wonders of the world. What are you writing? The little girl answered, well, I don't know if these are right ones or not, but I have a whole lot more than seven. The teacher said, well, hand me your paper. Let me see what you've written. Then he started reading the little girl's list. Here's what she wrote. 
to be able to see, think, breathe, touch, smell, taste, love, laugh, and the list went on and on and on and on. It closes by saying, you see, our problem is that we think that the great things in, of life are the magnificent material things. And we miss the blessings that our Father is giving to us every day. Every day. See, the peaceful heart is a thankful heart. But if you're not thankful, you think whatever you have is never going to be good enough and it's going to turn into a lustful heart and God cannot engage a lustful heart and satisfy that because there is no satisfaction for a lustful heart. Now, point four. Here we go. The peaceful heart is confident the shepherd will supply all its needs. He says in Psalm 23:1, I shall not want. Why? Because the shepherd has all I need. Let me tell you what I thought was strange. And maybe you did too, and maybe you didn't. But what? I thought, what was everybody rushing out to buy toilet paper for? I was like, toilet paper? Are, are you kidding me? Really? I, I went into um, Walmart. Uh, uh, this was a while back when it first hit. I've been back since. But I went into Walmart because I needed to buy some Smarties. I think I show you that, to, told you that in a different devotional. And um, I thought, okay, I'm going to go check things out here. You know, and see what the story is. Sure enough, man, shelves empty. I went over to see the egg area. No eggs. Now there's eggs again there. But people are cleaning up the toilet paper areas. I thought, I have not seen panic like this since December of 1973 when I was a senior in high school and they told us that the world was running out of fuel and everybody was dumping their big gas eaters. My parents made me trade in my 67 GTO for 150 bucks. Yeah, I still have pain saying that one. But they're trading them in, getting all these little economy cars that had no power whatsoever. It was insanity. I remember taking my lunch hour, my senior year, going to the gas station because the lines were around the block because we thought this is the last bit of gas we'll ever see in our lives. It was insanity because people were hoarding gas because of what they made us believe. And then I walk in here and it's like they're hoarding toilet paper and they're hoarding eggs. It's crazy. So I decided. I want to find out what's the big deal with the toilet paper? Why, why are people doing this? I read a couple articles and one of them made a lot of sense. I'll tell you what they said. In case this is one of the deep questions of your life. Why were people hoarding toilet paper? One Psychologists said this. They said, well, in a world that's out of control right now, they're looking for ways to have some control in their life and having enough toilet paper is a way of having some control in a world that's out of control. And I thought, you know, that makes sense. I, I could see there's, there's some truth in that right there. Because it's really making people realize how much control they really don't have. 
how fragile life really is. But the other thing they said was, basically, they said it like, they didn't say it like this, but this what they said, sheep follow sheep. Mm, the herd mentality. Yeah, it's true. Sheep follow sheep. <clears throat> so what's my point? People panic over supply. They panic over supply. Let me tell you what the peaceful heart knows. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He supplies all I need. Jesus can supply all I need. Can I add to God? The answer is, say it, no. Can I take away from God? Say it with me. The answer is, no. <laughs> Moses comes to the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And God says, Moses, and you know, I watched the Ten Commandments a couple weeks ago. I love to watch it every year. Charlton Heston, uh, Moses at the burning bush. And he, he sends, he sends, Moses, you're going to go back to Egypt and let my people go. Moses fights it all the way. But one of the things Moses asks God is this. He says, when I go there, they're going to say, whom should I say sent me? And God says, say, I am that I am has sent thee. I am that I am. Flash forward to the New Testament. In John chapter 8. One day Jesus is in a discussion with the religious leaders. And Jesus makes a statement. Now mind you, Abraham was born about 1950 years before that moment Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it. The Pharisees said, you're not even 50 years old yet and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. Oh, my God. Talk about making those guys mad. What did Jesus just say? I think he's saying, I'm the I am. I'm the guy from the burning bush. I'm him. I'm that Yahweh. And they were furious over this. So Jesus is our I am. He's God. What does I am even mean? It means that he is. It means he's all sufficient. <clears throat> He self-exists. He doesn't need you or anything else to exist. He is all-sufficient. And if he's all-sufficient, that means that for you and I, he's all we need. He's all-sufficient. Now, I want you to think about this because we're going to travel through Psalm 23 in the next three, four weeks. Since the good shepherd in Psalm 23 is all we need, I shall not want. He's all I need. Once we get that down, once we finalize that, we find everything we need in him in the rest of the psalm as we will progress. We'll find rest. We'll find refreshment, restoration, guidance, peace in death, victory, overflowing blessing, and eternal confidence. But all of those flow from our all-sufficient God. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's everything I need. He's all-sufficient. And that gives me peace, guys. And that gives me peace. And it should give you peace. Last thought. Last thought. 
<clears throat> Does Jesus really know all that I need as a sheep? Can he really understand us? Let me give you one slice of his life. Just a slice to show you how he understands. And it's just a slice. This is not the whole pie. There's so much more. But let me give you a slice. Turn to Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. It's the great chapter on the Messiah, the suffering servant to come. We know him as Jesus Christ. Now watch what it says in Isaiah 53 and verse 7. Ready? He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Notice it said, like a lamb that is led to slaughter. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, meaning I'm a sheep. Jesus walked as a sheep because he was a lamb that was led to slaughter. Has he experienced what we experience? Yes. Does he know what we feel? Yes. Can he relate to us? Yes. And since he's experienced all of that, walking in that mortal body, and he is all sufficient as God, he can supply all my needs, and that gives me peace in my heart. And it should give you peace in your heart. Now, as we close today, if you're watching me, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus as God in the flesh, the one who came to earth, allowed himself to be taken, nailed to a cross, carrying your sins and mine. And friend, understand our sins are what separate us from God. And you and I, we couldn't do enough good deeds to erase even one sin because you can't even erase a sin. Only the blood that he shed on that cross can wash away your sins. And that's why he came, to save you and to save me. Now, you don't have to want him. He's not forcing himself on anyone. It's your choice. But he has opened the door. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because he came to make peace for you with God the Father. He's the go-between. There is no other way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me, he said, John 14 and verse 6 in the Gospel of John. I want to give you an opportunity, if you're not a follower of Christ, to put your faith in him today, to become a follower. Or maybe you've walked away. Maybe you backslid. You've wandered outside the lines, and the good shepherd is always trying to bring you back in because it's distress. It's a narrow place, like we talked earlier. It's dangerous out there. Oh, it starts off good, seeing it's fun for a season, but then it narrows up, and it's not so fun. And it begins to hurt you and people around you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to return to Christ today and become, once again, a follower of him. So, 
If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus for the first time or return to Christ and become a follower of Jesus Christ, then I want you to repeat this prayer after me and say it believing that Jesus is God, your Savior, your Lord, your Messiah. Here we go. Repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you would die in my place. Thank you for allowing your blood to be spilled to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven of all my sins. Today, I choose to follow you. I give you my whole life. You are my chief shepherd. And I follow you. Now allow me to pray for you now. I pray for you, friend. Oh, I pray that you now take great steps, the right steps to continue following Jesus. I pray that you get a Bible from maybe Christian friends you know or somewhere. Or when church opens again, get a Bible. Start in the New Testament. Stay in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel. Stay there for months and months, if not a year, and learn about Jesus. When the church doors open again, get into a church if you're out of state. Get into a church if you're local. Get into church and begin to worship God and learn about Jesus and get into a small group. It's called fellowship. Do those things. And you watch how God begins to grow you. But just know that in this moment of time, all of your sins, all of your past is washed away under the blood. And now God wants to do new things in you because the Spirit of God now lives in your heart. Isn't that something? Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, it was great being with you today. Uh, I look forward to seeing you one day again in person. But until then, hey, God bless you. And here at New Beginnings, we love you all. I love you. See you soon.